Hello. Wow. See, here's where I could pull one of those dad moves and go, is this thing on? But is saying that I didn't do that just as bad as actually doing it in this case? Well, everyone, it's been a while. How are you all doing? I've been largely off the grid for the majority of 2022, trying to finish up my degree, study for and pass my board exam and get licensed as a therapist and all that. I ended up getting the first PT job I applied for on a whim in Atlanta while I was studying for my board exam this past July. But before we get into all that, I do believe that we have some unfinished business to take care of on this podcast. And let me just tell you that I have been dreaming of this very moment for well over a year now. And I truly cannot believe I am where I'm at today, able to tell this story from the other side. So if you're a new listener, I suggest you go back and listen to some of my previous podcasts for some context. But I am about to finally tell you all the story of the final two weeks of my first clinical rotation that occurred a little over a year ago around this time. I suggest you pour yourself a steaming hot cup of tea or crack your favorite beverage, pop some popcorn and relax. This one's a little bit of a doozy, but I think it's finally time for the truth to come out. Welcome back to Keeping Up With Kennedy. I would like to set some ground rules here before we begin. I am not here to throw shade, but rather I am here to state the facts of a situation in the hopes that someone else can learn from my mistakes and those of others. We're all in this together. If any of my good friends, the deans of my alma mater, didn't want these contracts and the information surrounding this event to get out to the public and the media, y'all should have thought about making me sign an NDA but it looks like your time's up. I still have access to my university email for one year post-graduation, which means I have access to everything that has been documented surrounding this situation via email. Throughout this episode, I will be quoting verbatim emails that I have personally sent out to faculty members and authority figures of my university. All that being said, unfortunately, this is a clean podcast for the time being, so I will have to censor my old clinical instructor's name throughout this episode, as it is considered profanity in my household. Feel free to message me for her contact information if you're interested, though. So it all started Labor Day weekend in early September of 2021. I was out at brunch with two of my friends, Sierra and Susan, at Waffle Stop in Tacoma, Washington, shout out, when I began receiving email after email from my clinical instructor with patient names in the subject lines. My phone was face up at the table as I'm watching these all roll in while I'm caught up in conversation. After about the fifth or sixth notification, I decide to take a look at what's going on. It turns out that my instructor was actively deleting all of my assessments from my notes for all of my patients for the previous Thursday and Friday because she told me they were copied and pasted. I knew for a fact that was not true, but I just let it go and tabled the situation for later because I was at brunch at the time. When I finally have somewhat of the energy to log into my email and see what's going on, it's the next day and I'm at the airport on my way back to California to work. I was told, and I quote, that, hi Kennedy, Going forward, I need you to write brand new original assessments each time. I cannot accept copy and pasted, not copied and pasted, copy 
and pasted. Assessments from your note before, as this does not display your clinical reasoning and how your reasoning is developing and growing. Even if they are similar, be creative, and it needs to be written and reflected in a different format each time. All of your notes from 9.2 and 9.3 require edits. Please let me know when you have completed them and resend. I then proceed to log into our documentation software at the airport on my personal computer, which was interesting to have access to 24-7 as a student, you know, due to patient privacy laws and things like that, but that's besides the point at this moment. And I come to realize that she didn't just leave my work for me to edit, she had deleted everything in its entirety. I will now quote the email that I sent her back in its entirety and mark the start of our story's gradual ascent. Hi, Dr. I completely understand where you are coming from and agree 100% that I need to write original assessments to show you as well as the insurance companies my clinical reasoning and ultimately give our patients the highest level of care that they deserve. I've been doing this, though I do copy and paste then edit from the previous session's note, so some assessments may look similar, but I make sure that they are all still true and accurate about what happened happened in that session in that day at that time. I distinctly remember editing patient one's assessment, and I verbally told you this in the clinic because that is when Lola escaped, and I was flustered, but then realized it, and told you directly, hang on, I'm going to fix the assessment to reflect the level of assistance I gave him with the backwards walking, so don't finalize it yet. You acknowledged this, and I asked if it would send to you three different times as I was editing the assessment, and you said no, and then we looked, and it only had one for him, so I was happy. I then finished it within 10 minutes after that. You deleted what I had had written and made really good, so I tried to redo that one the best that I could. I also distinctly remember editing patient 2's note, because it obviously wasn't his progress note completing 16 visits for PT anymore, and I edited the paragraph. I asked him in the clinic if he was at 100% confidence with walking, and he said yes, and I distinctly remember editing that in the assessment, but you deleted it. I hope nothing else was lost. I will be sure to use more creativity going forward. I remember editing patient 3's assessment, because I really felt focus on her for research, as you know, and in her assessment, I wrote a lot about the testing of adsins and grip strength and stuff that you erased. I remember editing the band colors from green to red and noting her fatigue level from this session with the red bands instead of the green bands that were in the previous note that you left me to work with. We did not use either yellow or green bands, and I said that in my draft along with a note about the new nerve glides that you erased. I also distinctly remember editing patient 4's note, and you even visibly and verbally helped me with it. I won't get into it any further. I don't know if this is something wrong with WebPT, but it won't happen again on my watch. They are all done again, and then I actually type out the word period. They are all done again, period. Kennedy Williams. Okay, so you see here that I was pissed. I then spent three hours at the airport trying to remember what I did with each and every patient for those two days and sent it all back into her. Also, if you're wondering how I had three hours of spare time at the airport, I am that girl that loves the airport and shows up four hours early to every flight to go to a restaurant and eat and have drinks and stuff no matter what time of day it starts. And also, if you're wondering about the whole Lola escaping situation, please refer back to the podcast episode titled Let Me Formally Introduce Myself 
to hear that story. On Tuesday when I got to work, I began my day by initially apologizing to my instructor for the tone of my email because I did feel bad. And she just kind of laughed it off and took it pretty well, blaming it on her pregnancy brain or something like that because she had a three month old at home and she was feeling hormonal and forgot, yada, yada, yada. She also had four students working under her license at the same time at this point. And she was the sole breadwinner for her family that she always loved to tell us about. While we're paying $19,000 in tuition money to work for her for free, but that's a whole nother topic. So at the end of the day, I really do think with about 40 to 50 student notes to sign off on on any given day, as well as the fact that she didn't stop seeing an additional 10, 15, 20 patients on her own personal schedule every 30 minutes, that she genuinely glanced at one or two of my notes, thought they looked the same, and just deleted all the rest to save herself some time. Now, in person at work, this situation just blew over with my initial apology, and we carried on about our days for the last two weeks of my rotation. Like I said, there was another student from my school, as well as two other students from two other schools working under this woman at this point. And after personally talking with the other students, they all told me they didn't even know anything was going on other than patient care. But behind the scenes, my entire future was on the line. If I were big enough in the podcast community, this is where I would place an advertisement, but no one's monetizing me yet. So moving on. Now, if you work in the medical field or if you've ever been to the doctor for a checkup, there may have been something I said earlier in the episode that made you think a little bit. The emails. I know what you're thinking. Kennedy isn't using full patient names with protected health information over unencrypted Gmail with full names in the subject lines without any mention of confidentiality against the law? Oh, oh, I'm glad you asked. The answer is yes. That's one of the most basic principles of email communication in healthcare. So backtracking a little bit here, after redoing all my notes and moving on that Tuesday, I called my academic advisor for advice. I tell her about the situation and she's immediately like, so we have a major HIPAA violation is what you're telling me. And I'm like, yeah. She tells me to notify my clinical education advisor, who is a different person, who I'm less comfortable with personally and professionally, hence the reason why I called up my OG academic advisor. And she suggests that I tell her what's going on. I do exactly that, and my clinical education advisor wants me to call her on her cell phone immediately and is just like, I'm sorry, what's going on? Yeah, we're gonna look into this, thank you. And that was that. In yet another one of my mistakes in my case, aside from an angry email, I decide to post about my instructor breaking the law on my Instagram story. Idiot. Within the first 20 to 30 minutes of me posting this, I notice that it is seen by one of the PTAs at this clinic who I thought I had befriended, as well as the head director of clinical education from my school and my old anatomy professor that led the cadaver lab for us. Mind you, I knew the aide followed me, but I didn't even know either of these professors were on Instagram. I know exactly what this means. It's around 9.30 a.m. on a Tuesday, 
and I'm in between patients, checking my phone, and my stomach immediately drops into my ankles. My entire body starts shaking, and I head into an enclosed room alone to collect myself. I immediately erase all of the evidence. I would now like to insert an unpaid ad for the hard seltzer company Vizzy. Vizzy, if you're out there and you need anyone to try out some new products for you, please message me via email or direct message. Thank you. This means that the aide is going to tell my instructor what I posted, and some snake from my school reported me to the faculty, and now they have been tipped off to look into my account. I've heard about this happening to other friends in the program, and it's absolute bullshit, but it's true. If everyone could just mind their own god business, this world would be a much better place, I swear. As an aside, my ongoing theory about who reported me from my school is the curly clinician. And if you're from my school, you all know who I'm talking about, mainly for two reasons. One, she blocked me from Instagram the day after this happened. And two, when I was later informed about the reporting over the phone from the head director of clinical education, she told me that a peer reported me, but she said it with such a confused tone like it wasn't really a peer. And so the curly clinician was a year ahead of me in my program, so she had already graduated. And at this time, she had just failed the July board exam, and her only job was to be an influencer and study for the October board exam. So it adds up that she had the free time to tip off the head director about my account. And she also has her head kind of up my program's and so for those reasons, my theory will remain as such. But anyways, faced with the reality of my current situation in the middle of my morning workday with no one else around me the wiser, I have a choice. I can collect myself in this room and finish my day, or I can claim a sick day for the rest of the day. My next patient on my schedule won't be arriving for about 20 minutes, so I have a second to try to take deep breaths and collect myself. I end up making it through two more patients to my lunch break, during which I sprint to my car at noon, drive away, and I immediately call my best friend Crystal, who you all may remember from the Blended Festival episode. Now, I am unwell at this point. I am shaking and sobbing, and I made it safely to a park down the street where I parked my car, and I just broke down. I tried to tell Crystal what was going on, and she supported me in the moment, but I still felt like she didn't understand the gravity of my situation. And to anyone that's not in this specific medical program you may be thinking like oh some people just like saw your instagram story so what so here's the thing they can and they will kick me out of this program for this no questions asked and i will be in over a hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt for nothing and that's what i'm thinking about during this time and when i entered the program i remember signing a social media policy but honestly i could not tell you what it said before i started posting this at the time over two years after I had signed said policy. So Crystal works with me to calm me down as much as possible before I have to go finish up the rest of my work day at this place. That night, I had another choice. I knew which professors from my school had seen my Instagram story. It was right there. I was caught red-handed. I have no clue who reported me at this point, why, or how these professors ended up on my page. But what had been done was done, the evidence was erased, but I knew it was going to be acknowledged somehow. I could either fess up independently for my actions to the faculty, or I could wait for them to come find me. Not being one to back down from a fight, 
I compose an email directly to my clinical advisor and CC the other two professors who saw my Instagram story in said email. I will now read you that email. Hi, Dr. I would like to email you about some things that have been going on. On Wednesday of last week, my CI came in crying and locked herself in the closet from 7.30 a.m. past the point when all the 8 a.m. patients were here. I began my treatment independently, as did the four other students she has, which is against the law. She has me, and two other students on their full-time clinicals from other schools here right now. No one is getting proper full mentorship because she just wants us to see as many patients as she can get in her schedule and stresses that we always need to be billing as much as possible. Finally, when there are no patients around that Wednesday, she announces to everyone what's going on. She got her period that morning and it made her emotional, so the front desk lady canceled all of my CI's patients for the day on her personal schedule, but she still had to be present that day, so all four of her students could continue running her clinic for her. Then from last Wednesday through Friday, she was somewhat rude and taking out her emotions on me and Steven, the other full-time staff PT. I've discussed this with both and Steven privately and they agreed with me completely. My CI also makes me work on Tuesdays now, which is typically our day off, but she said I have to make up the days because I didn't start off as good as and I need to prove myself more. When saw that I was working on Tuesdays now, and he asked if she wanted him to too, a normal question, she told him that no, he deserves the day off. So just knowing this made me feel bad because it implies that I don't deserve the day off and I am inferior to him who is in the exact same clinical rotation for 801 as I am. I have already discussed with you the HIPAA violations and her deleting my assessments. One other thing is that she really prides herself that she got students. She loves to name drop to students, patients, and everyone she knows. I even found out from one of the volunteers that she advertised on her website that she had students a year before me and even got here when she didn't have students here. And I are her very first ever students as this is a new partnership contract and I personally do not believe that this is the experience that you and Dr would expect us to have with a 4 to 1 student to CI ratio. That is just my opinion. She also makes a lot of assumptions and generalizations about race. One time she told me I should ask a patient who is Indian coming in for an initial evaluation with me if he did yoga because the Indians love yoga. That is just one example of many that could be taken the wrong way. One other student and I have discussed her comments and we both agree that it's a little uncomfortable at times. Could we set up a time to talk over the phone about these and a few other things? Thank you. Phew! I am picturing poor Dr. sitting down at her computer and having to unpack this email and now I can just look back and laugh like this is a lot. So as you all can see, there is a lot going on here. After this email is received, I begin a long journey of phone conversations and large group Zoom meetings that eventually get pushed up all the way to the head dean of the School of Medicine. I will now read an email I sent to four separate very high up authority figures. Hello everyone. After a lot of reflection, I have realized that a lot of the little things I was emailing Dr. P about were unconscious irritations in my mind going on during the whole rotation that just passed by because they didn't seem like the end of the world at the time. But when I was very frustrated with one situation, not with Dr. P 
erasing the assessments was an honest mistake on her part. I told her the next day I got to work that I was not mad at her, but just frustrated with the situation. I took it out unproductively and lashed out behaviorally by posting on my Instagram story. We genuinely did not have any issues any week aside from week 10 of this clinical. That is why you didn't see any concerns in reading our midterm CPI evaluations. She sent me all the patient name emails on Monday, Labor Day. I fixed them on Tuesday and I only worked Wednesday through Friday. The entire first half of 801, I checked and she had never even sent me an email with any patient names as we had always discussed things verbally. This was only one of 12 weeks of my clinical experience. Everyone makes mistakes and I'm not going to hold any of this against Dr. or anyone else. There were just some little things that I didn't know I was feeling so strongly that came to the surface when I became extremely frustrated that my work was erased. I am currently getting ready to head to the clinic about to go to work with fresh headspace, good intentions, and excited to see my patients. Sincerely, Kennedy Williams. Now, we've come to a point where you may think the situation is all said and done and we're all taking sighs of relief and moving on with our lives. But wait, there's more. I decide to start looking into California state laws that help protect students on internships. Because if you've ever had a problem on an unpaid internship, it can feel helpless. Here I am paying thousands of dollars to work for you for free and you suck and I can't do anything about it because I need to pass this class to graduate so I have to be on my very best behavior. I come to find out there's a law that protects students from discrimination and I had felt discriminated by this woman for her comments about my body image countless times. This was brought up in the phone and Zoom conversations that I do not have documented, unfortunately. It only kept getting worse as the clinical went on and small comments here and there were really taking a toll on me by week 12. Around the weekend of week 11, before my last week in the clinic, I decide to text the other staff PT, Steven, about these laws and what he thinks I should do and those kinds of things. I don't actually have those receipts anymore because I deleted all the texts and blocked everyone at that clinic from my phone for life, but basically I told him I was going to take legal action for this, but I still needed to pass the clinical and get a good rating for my skills at our final review that had to be completed that week by my CI. As yet another side note, I have told Dr. that the final CPI review was due on the last day of our clinical, and during that last week I asked her two or three times if she was gonna complete it, and she just brushed it off like it's no big deal and acted like it wasn't a hard deadline and I shouldn't be worried, and I'm a little anxious about the whole ordeal because of everything that's been going on, but I've already done all my onboarding and been in communication with my next instructor at my next location in Southern California, and I haven't heard anything saying I can't start there, so I just assume it's fine. This is the part where the narrator goes, and it was not fine. Now, after I have already moved to Southern California and we're on our two-week break in between rotations, I get a random call from none other than Dr one of my clinical advisors, to my cell phone at around 8 a.m. on a Saturday. My heart starts beating a little faster uh, because I know that this isn't normal. So I slowly reach for the green answer button. This is another unpaid advertisement for the makers of the Adventure Challenge books. If you are listening to this and you would like to do a collab, like Keeping Up With Kennedy, the Adventure Challenge in its own book type format, please contact me via email or direct message. Thank you. I am told that Dr. 
has filed seven critical incidents against me in my final review that she waited to complete until she knew that I had moved away and that the university must take her claims seriously. For context about the impact of what a critical incident means, at my third clinical rotation, if you had more than one critical incident on your record at that location, your internship would be terminated, no questions asked, and you wouldn't be able to move on or get your degree. A number like seven is completely absurd. And to my horror, I log into my computer and sure enough, there they all are. The real kicker is that she rated me as beyond entry level in certain categories and passed me with flying colors for my performance and my skills during the rotation for doing my job with the patients. But she has to throw some salt into the wound because she didn't want me getting away with posting on Instagram about her and her precious ego. On this phone call, I am also alerted to the fact that all of these people at this clinic lied directly to my face without a care in the world. One day during those last two weeks, every single staff member got called into the locked storage room separately, where I now come to find out that had a Zoom meeting going with my clinical education directors. She had each staff member come in separately and tell my program that they're afraid of me and they all think I'm going to snap or lash out or something like that is the gist of what I'm told by Dr. This morning, I personally think that they just realized that I had the power to take a lot of legal action against them and probably honestly shut them down if I tried hard enough and they were afraid. I mean, no one wants to lose their job, right? I remember this day perfectly because the whole thing seemed pretty odd. Dr. <coughs> was supposed to be supervising her four students that are actively working with patients without licenses, but instead, She's just chilling in the storage closet, and they all tell me they're just having some meetings about the productivity of the clinic or some bullshit <laughs> excuse when I asked several of them directly to their faces what the meeting was about. I could tell they all looked a little guilty about something in the moment, but I was busy working with patients and didn't think much of it. But looking back on that day now, the saddest part is that I can actually believe that every single one of them had the nerve to lie to my face, stab me in the back like this, not bring up a single concern to my face, and send me packing. Dr. tells me over the phone this morning that the dean would like me to write him a letter addressing each critical incident and my reaction to and perspective about it because he knows that there are always two sides to every story. So picking up the small fragments of sanity that I have left for this situation that I thought was all said and done, I open up my laptop and begin typing. Dear Dr. K here is my response to the critical incidents that my clinical instructor has filed. Incident number one, documentation. Behavior. One, quote, her emailed response was written with defensiveness and she later apologized that she was frustrated when she wrote the responding email. My response is, this was already addressed in the previous behavior report. Let me know if you have any further questions about my perspective. Incident number two, communication. Behavior, one, quote, Responding to email about feedback regarding assessment writing was written with defensiveness and frustration, to which Kennedy apologized for her behavior the next day. Number two, 
Express frustration to staff members regarding CI's feedback about assessment. CI comments. Kennedy is extremely professional in her communication with patients and patient documents, including letters to doctors and her interactions throughout examinations and follow-up visits. However, she does not select the most appropriate person to communicate with when it came to her concerns and the mode and expression of her concerns were not of the utmost professionalism. My response is, Similar to above, behavior one was already addressed. Behavior two, I agree that I should not have expressed my frustrations to staff members regarding the feedback I had received. I felt justified in doing so, however, because Stephen, the other staff PT, and I would always joke about those blank assessment boxes and how we would see patients back to back to back and then have to go and think hard to write three assessments in a row. In the moment, he seemed to genuinely care about the situation and offered me advice and a shoulder to lean on in the situation. Stephen didn't share with me that he felt uncomfortable or frustrated that I had shared my concerns with him if he felt this way. I can't be sure because I have not talked to him directly about it. CI comments. 1. I have always maintained a very high level of professionalism while working with every single patient I have ever seen. I never gave one nonverbal signal to a single one of them that anything was going wrong or that I was feeling hurt that day or anything like that. I can put on a happy face to begin the session and do my job at hand. I did notice that once I began talking with the patients, within the first minute I was usually at ease and it wasn't a challenge to be myself and be empathetic toward their concerns. I feel that this entire situation has made me lose myself and who I am as a person because the light that my CI is painting me in to you guys is not who I am. It is who she is judging me to be based on 12 weeks of knowing me and of knowing that I will fight for the rights of patients and that I won't stand to be treated poorly the way she has treated me in a working environment. I have already mentally moved on and was getting back to the person I know myself to be when I got the phone call about this report. Incident number three, professional development. Behavior, one, responding email to CI about feedback regarding assessment writing was written with defensiveness and frustration to which Kennedy apologized for her behavior the next day. My response is, Again, this has already been addressed. For what it's worth, I did not directly copy and paste the entire assessments. I could go into more detail about what was contained in those assessments if you would like. I forgot about a letter Dr. P requested I write to Dr. P about this whole situation to kind of open up the lines of communication between her and I. And I need to now read that letter so that you have the context for incident number four. So I'm now going to read a letter within a letter. So I hope you're tracking with me here. Dear Dr. <coughs> I really appreciate your clinic and the significant amount of time and effort you have put into pushing me to succeed so far, and I am excited to continue this momentum going forward into our final two weeks together. I know you value open communication, so I have some concerns that I'd like to bring up. I do wholeheartedly believe I am perceiving some things incorrectly, and the little things are adding up. I believe that the message I am receiving is different than its intent, so I would like to address this openly with you. I often feel devalued as a student and that I am only here for monetary cash flow through the clinic, even though I am paying a lot of money per semester to work here and make money for the clinic. I understand that this is just the way it is for all PT students regardless of where you go to school and I picked an expensive school by choice but when I am reminded that the clinic could not run without its students day in and day out the message may be perceived in the wrong way of its intent. I feel that I am only here to make more money that I am not receiving any of. I am not complaining because that is what I signed up for but when I am reminded of this time and time 
time again, the message is perceived to me that I am just here to make this clinic money. When patient names are being typed in the subject lines of emails, it is breaking HIPAA laws. I do not feel that I am getting the full learning experience I deserve for this clinical rotation because there are so many students and not enough time to invest into each individual student and give appropriate feedback within session during patient care. I feel like my learning has been impacted by the logistics of this clinic. I appreciate open communication, but sometimes I feel that the manner in which it is delivered comes across as unprofessional, and I know that is not the way it is intended. This is a side note comment based on this bullet point of the letter within the letter, but would just do all these unprofessional things like she would just prided herself she's like i love open communication like communicate with me yada 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 and she just tells us like tmi stuff and just like all this stuff we, like we don't need to know and she just came across as unprofessional like locking herself in the storage closet because she got her period and like what <laughs> so i made sure in this letter not to use the word you or your clinic so that she wouldn't think i was attacking her directly i'm just upset that this is all even just still going on at this point okay back to the letter within the letter this entire clinical has been a huge learning experience for me because i sometimes listen to hearsay and clinic drama from other staff and can get caught up in the moment i'm going to work on my professionalism in not getting caught up in that and focus solely on my job here that i have to do i feel like i am uncomfortable at times when comments are made about patients races i know i am white and sometimes people assume since i'm a white girl and look young that i'm privileged and culturally incompetent. This frustrates me, but it is what it is. I feel as though my clinical reasoning is not given much weight in the clinic because it is still developing. When I wanted to refer the wrist patient out, I felt that I was not heard in the situation because my clinical reasoning is so new and I was not listened to appropriately in the moment. I want us all to use this as a learning experience and just want to get the most out of the time I have left with all of you guys. Sincerely, Kennedy Williams. Okay, y'all, we made it back to the main letter. Incident number four, screening, behavior, one, quote, in her letter to CI, she felt that her, and then she quotes me, clinical reasoning was not heard in the situation, dot, 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 and was not listened to appropriately. CI comments, one, students seemed to react with defensiveness and perhaps did not understand the importance of considering all examination findings and understand if diagnostic imaging will change the course of treatment. And my response to that is, behavior, one, what she is quoting me on is true. I felt that she did not listen to me appropriately in the moment. CI comments. 1. I knew in this situation that diagnostic imaging would not change the course of treatment. I wanted to refer out because the patient's learning style and the way he was communicating with me during the session between just him and I before I asked for my CI's input, which took me 20 minutes to get this is an aside, which took me 20 minutes to get because she was working with so many other patients. I had to just sit around and shoot the breeze with this man, try like while I'm waiting for her because I'm like, I thought he had a scaphoid fracture because he had a foosh injury. And so I'm like, yeah, like I, I think you might have a fracture like kind of in your wrist bones there. Um, let's just wait for my clinical instructor to come over, kind of like see what we got to do. Um, okay, back to the letter. 
I wanted to refer out because the patient's learning style and the way that he was communicating with me during the session between just him and I before I asked for my CI's input led me to believe that he highly values data and hard copies of findings to guide his healing process. My CI did not know this because she was not there for the entire evaluation I had done independently. She just immediately shut me down without even hearing me out or giving me more of a chance to say what I felt the need to say to alleviate the patient's concerns in front of the patient. Oftentimes as a student, I like to ask very specific questions to understand the mechanisms and reasoning slash evidence behind my CI's clinical reasoning. Instead of answering many of my questions with something like, it's all the same way to treat it, and it won't change the course of treatment, so just move on, as she usually does. It would have been beneficial for me as a learner if my CI would have given a more detailed explanation of why she was brushing off my concerns like they were nothing and like I was just a student who didn't know what she was doing. It would be helpful in the future to help students critically think about the evidence behind their clinical practice through perhaps independent research and other activities at this location because we are not getting it from our CI. Critical incident number five, cultural competence. Antecedent one, CI comments about patients race slash culture to include cultural biases and norms. Behavior one, interpreted CI's comments about patients' race slash culture as potential harassment to the wrong person. CI comments, one, intent of commenting about patients' race slash culture was intended to increase awareness and empathy to improve cultural competency to races slash cultures less familiar and or most commonly seen in our clinic. Now, the way that I interpreted this was like, is she giving herself a critical incident against herself? I'm like, yeah, the intent of my comment was to increase your awareness and your empathy at your clinic. So I feel like she did some dirty work for me and kind of gave this one to herself. So my response to that one is antecedent one. Being sensitive to racial and ethnic differences is important for cultural competence and ultimately for clinical practice in order to help our patients of different races and ethnicities be comfortable and confident in their care with us. This clinic does a great job of this and striving to be aware of the cultures from which our patients come from and what cultural practices they may participate in. However, in many situations, their concerns came across as generalizing the patient's culture solely based on their race, which is something we do not want to do. It is very good to have the knowledge of these cultures, but we must not cross the line to racial, ethnic, or cultural stereotyping. I found this article online that I thought would be very informative and helpful for my CI, but I did not send it to her because knowing the way she responds to things, I thought that she would take me sending this informative article as a personal attack against her. I was afraid of the way she would respond. The thing about racial microaggressions is that they are just a part of your everyday speech and you do not know that you are saying them. I know it is not her intent to give the connotation of what her words mean, but from an outsider's perspective from me, I wanted to let her know what I was observing while protecting our patients and standing up for them and for what is right. And then under that comment, I like attached the article. It's this article from Columbia University called Racial Microaggressions in Everyday Life, Implications for Clinical Practice. And then my next bullet is behavior one. I already discussed this situation with Dr. So let me know if you need further clarification beyond that. CI comments, one, yes, it was my intent to increase my CI's awareness and empathy for the races and ethnicities of the patients at her clinic. 
Incident number six, accountability. Antecedent, one, Kennedy had concerns about HIPAA in which she initiated the conversation via text. Two, Kennedy felt comments about her weight slash size made her feel uncomfortable. See I comments. One, Kennedy had multiple concerns in which they should have been directly brought up with CI and DCE, end quote. Mind you, she never addressed the fact that she made me feel uncomfortable, never once said, hey, sorry you're feeling that way, but okay. <laughs> and this is an aside, but first of all, this should probably be in the communication category, not accountability. And secondly, yeah, I initiated the conversation via text because I was still in Washington at the airport. I was like, hey, yeah, what's good? Just so you know, I'm redoing these assessments and you're also breaking the law, which she claimed complete ignorance to. She said that no one ever taught her that rule in school and and I were her 20th and 21st students and not a single one of them has ever told her anything about it in the six years she's owned the clinic. Like, um, first of all, Go ahead and dig yourself an even bigger grave. <laughs> Ignorance is not an excuse for breaking the law for six years. I'm sorry. Okay, so my response to this one is antecedent one. This should have been done in person. I agree. Antecedent two. People often make comments and laugh about how small I am, usually all in good-natured fun. I typically just laugh it off and go about my day because I do not share the experience that I have been hospitalized for being underweight with anyone unless it comes up and I feel the need to bring it up. My CI would make comments in front of patients about my size that made me feel extremely bad about myself and self-conscious, which I haven't felt to this extent in many, many years. One example that will be ingrained in my mind for a long, long time is when we were at the dorsiflexion wall lunch test together with a patient and my CI started making comments about my size, directly pointing at me while talking to the patient, saying things like, oh yeah, Kennedy is a snacker, she loves to snack, but you wouldn't even think she eats. And you and I have to watch our weight, but Kennedy over there? She doesn't have to. For someone with my past history, this introduced a lot of those thoughts back into my mind and made me relive a lot of my past that I thought I had recovered from. I have never had anyone until Dr. <laughs> treat me this way. Not any peers in undergrad, not any peers in grad school, nothing. Not until this. CI comments, one. Yes, I should have brought up my concerns about this directly to or to Dr. Looking back, I feel in a way misled by Stephen because continually throughout this entire experience, he emphasized to me that I could always talk to him and that he was there for me and that he, quote, knows how can get sometimes. I spoke with him about these situations because I trusted him and he led me to believe that I could have that trust in him and that nothing was wrong. I did not know that this made him uncomfortable because he never acted like it did. And finally, incident number seven, professional behavior. Consequence, one. Duke officials have taken disciplinary action towards social media post and breaking policy. My response, this has already been addressed. And here is my reflection on what I know of the most recent professional behavior report. And then now I go into three kind of bolded, underlined things with paragraphs. So the first one is, I am sorry. The second one is, I am confused. And the third one is, I will work to improve my communication skills. I am sorry. I understand that everyone has feelings and that everyone has a right to their opinion. I have no right to say that I didn't make anyone at that clinic feel whatever way they were feeling about me because whatever they felt is valid and real to them. But from what I heard from Dr. P 
Whatever they were feeling was not my intent in the slightest, and they did not even once bring their feelings about me to my attention. If they had, I would have openly apologized and asked them what I could do to help fix the situation. But they didn't even give me a chance. Please correct me if I am wrong, but from what I understood from Dr. They were afraid I was going to blow up or like they were afraid of how I would react. You can ask anyone I know. I'm a very open person and do not typically react in the manner I have since that day during week 10 of my rotation when this all started. And furthermore, I reacted wrongly over emails to Dr. and over a social media platform that I immediately deleted. I never once let my emotions show in person to Dr. Stephen J. Or anyone else that has been involved in this now, and especially not to any patients or while they were even within earshot. There was nothing to even be in earshot of because I was just being myself and joking around with the staff like everything was normal because I thought that it was. I genuinely didn't know that they were feeling this way. I am confused. I cannot change a behavior that I am not aware is harming anyone. If I would have been made aware of the staff's feelings, however, I know for a fact that I would have apologetically responded and asked what I am doing that makes them uncomfortable and what I could have done to improve the working environment. But my chance to improve in person has passed. From the outside, I genuinely didn't know this was a poor working environment for them. Kayla kept showing me baby pictures of all her nieces and nephews because she knew I loved babies. Steven kept joking around with me and offering support like he had been doing for 11 weeks. And Dr. K didn't even lead me on to believe that she knew I was feeling harassed by her. And knowing this information from Steven, she did nothing about it to address my feelings with me directly or remedy the situation with me. She went straight to you guys over Zoom with all of them, had them all lie to my face about it, never brought it up to me, which seems a little hypocritical to me from someone who prides themselves on open communication. I will work to improve my communication skills. I think the main problem here with this second report is yet another failure in communication over the past three weeks. It seems apparent to me that the entire staff has taken my feelings as a personal attack against them, and it makes them uncomfortable and afraid of what I will say or do. If they would have simply brought this to my attention in person, I would have been able to explain to them that this is nothing personal. From the start, I wanted them to take my concerns and what I am saying seriously, but not personally. I do believe at their core they are all very nice, fun to be around people. I have nothing against a single one of them. I do not hold grudges. I am just now confused as to their method of addressing my concerns because it seems like the opposite of open communication with me that they always pride themselves in. I am genuinely blindsided by this because I thought we were all good and that we had all learned and moved along. I am willing and looking forward to having a larger meeting with Dr. Dr. Pearl and Dr. as alerted to me over email in order to discuss this letter and finally move on. Okay, so we made it through the letter, everyone. We're almost done. So I then have this mega meeting with a couple people and basically one of them took notes during it and they sent the notes up the chain to the deans and we all put this, all the rest, with a contract. The contract states as such, Dear Miss Williams, October 5th, 2021. 
I am writing you regarding your professional behavior. A professional behavior report was submitted on September 27, 2021 regarding several violations of professional behavior during PT-801. The professional behavior report provides the details of these violations and were obtained and compiled through phone interviews of your CI and other staff in your PT-801 clinic. Kennedy, although your CPI final ratings were at the expected level, the seven documented critical incidents speak to significant concerns about your behaviors. The DPT student handbook contains clear guidance on our expectations of professional behaviors as well as the implications of any reported lapses in professionalism. As per our program policies and procedures, the Student Promotions Committee reviewed these violations and overall felt that this report, as well as the information gathered from the CI and clinic staff, who threw me under the bus, anyways, demonstrate a pattern of concerning behavior, i.e. verbal warning issued on 9-13-21 regarding social media violation and continued violation of the School of Medicine policy. The Promotions Committee also recommended that a formal learning contract regarding professional behaviors be put in place for PT-802 and PT-803. Based on the recommendation of the Student Promotions Committee, as well as the information you provided via email and in our meeting on October 4th, this letter serves as a notice of a second verbal warning regarding your professional behaviors. But this is a written warning. Verbal. Interesting. Please read the below learning contract, and if in agreement, sign and return to me. In the meantime, please let me know if you have any questions. Sincerely, a PT, PhD, Division in Chief, and Professor, Doctor of Physical Therapy Division. Let me just insert here that the fact that this is a written formal contract and they're calling it a second verbal warning tells me that they know I'm being mistreated. Our school has a policy that if you are on any form of a learning contract, then you aren't able to take your board exam in April to get licensed and start working, but instead you have to wait until late July to take the exam because they want you to pass it the first time, basically. Classifying this as a verbal warning allowed me to bypass this policy about the learning contract because my academics were always great, I was doing just fine, and I think the school realized that this was all becoming a load of bullshit. I still waited until July to take the test for personal reasons, but that's besides the point. Okay, so now I will read the document that was reviewed and signed by pretty much every dean and vice dean of the School of Medicine that you can think of from my university. Learning plan. Student name. Kennedy Williams. Areas of concern slash deficit. Professional behavior. Plan activities. Activity. One. Kennedy will engage in bi-weekly check-in meetings with student advisor and or assigned clinical education faculty advisor. Number two, Kennedy will submit weekly planning forms to the assigned clinical faculty advisor by Friday afternoon each week. This form will include an assignment for the student to reflect on professional behavior for the week. Three, Kennedy will write a professional behavior plan with specific reflections on ways she plans to be accountable for her actions. Number four, any evidence of retaliatory behaviors against any person, people, or entity associated with her past or future clinical experiences may result in immediate suspension and or dismissal from the program. Number five, the clinical education team reserves the right to reassign the student's TCE 803 clinical site to be local to the Durham area if at any time it is deemed to be in the student's best interest. Time frame, PT 802, PT 803. Evidence of completion of learning contract. 
Successful completion of learning contract and passing of PT-802 and PT-803, this learning contract may be modified before PT-803 to reflect Kennedy's performance and specific needs for continued support at that time. If the learning contract is not successfully completed, the Student Promotions Committee will review for further action. So there we go. That's exactly what I do. Every Friday by 8 a.m., because I'm on the West Coast, so Friday afternoon would be Friday morning on the East Coast. Every Friday morning, I have to submit this huge questionnaire on how I've been professional throughout the week at my next rotation. I have to have a phone call with my advisor every other week to let her know how things are going. These mainly consisted of me telling her how great I'm doing, my fun weekend plans, and how I'm so immensely grateful to be on the other side of the state as my old instructor. Once they finally realized I freaking killed it at my second rotation, they kind of loosened up the contract, and I didn't have to make any more phone calls, and I just had to fill out the form every other week. But I still couldn't have any ounce of whatever they think retaliatory behaviors meant. Now my theory on this one is that my first instructor was so up her own <laughs> about her Yelp reviews and her image. And initially when I got there, she was basically bragging about how good she looks on Yelp and how she has all her students write her a review at the end of their experience, so she keeps her five stars. And this kind of also explains to me why she was so upset that I posted on Instagram about her and why she's attacking me so hard about that one. It's all about her image for her. So a hit to her ego with a bad Yelp review would have gotten me kicked out of this program, I do believe. But guess what? I bit my tongue for an entire year, and I now live to tell the tale. So it would be a shame if your Yelp reputation was hit with a swarm of nasty reviews now. <coughs> the final thing I think I'll get off my chest about this situation is that Dr. <coughs> kept telling me how I wasn't going to make it at my next rotation. She said that she had a student that went to that place once and hated it, and to never ever send anyone to this company. That was my first impression of her, the first day I met her. She's like, oh yeah, where are your other rotations? As long as you're not going to this place, you'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually going there next. And so that was a little awkward. But she thought I was too slow at learning to be able to keep up with the pace of those clinics. I told my program that she was making me a little nervous for my next rotation, and they also thought that was a little odd and that she needed to just focus on her job with me here and not be worrying about my next one. That's not her problem. Turns out, I absolutely killed it there, and I love the fast pace of an urgent care setting and the unexpected walkover patients that I get to see. I say I get to see because I actually got hired at this same company she told me I would never succeed at. My second CI's last words to me were, know how good you are. I see about 12 to 18 patients per day on average, and while it has its ups and downs at times, I love what I do. So if you're out there listening to this and you've got people telling you that you can't do something or that you're too slow or whatever it may be, I need you to get your <laughs> up, get to work, and prove them wrong.
Our regular segments such as Where Are They Now and My Dad the Life Coach will be returning next week along with the actual update of my life because this episode is now way too long. We do always leave this podcast with a lesson of the week, meaning what can we take away from this episode to grow and learn and become a better person, things like that. So today's lesson is that if you take accountability and integrity for your actions with honesty and good intentions, even the biggest mistake you ever make won't be able to stop you from achieving your goals. So go out and make some mistakes because that's the way you're going to really level up in life. Now if you would like to stay for a symbolic reading of Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do, stay tuned to the rest of this episode. If not, we'll see you next Monday. I don't like your little games. Don't like your tilted stage. The role you made me play of the fool? No, I don't like you. I don't like your perfect crime. How you laugh when you lie to my face. You said the gun was mine? (laughs) That isn't cool. No, no, no. I don't like you. But I got smarter. I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. I've got a list of names and yours is in red, underlined. I check it once and then I check it twice. Oh, look what you made me do. I don't like your kingdom keys. They once belonged to me. You asked me for a place to sleep, locked me out, and then threw a feast? What? The world moves on, another day, another drama, drama. But not for me, not for me. All I think about is karma. And then the world moves on, but one thing's for sure. Maybe I got mine, but you'll all get yours. But I got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, like I told you, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. I've got a list of names and yours is in red, underlined. I check it once, then I check it twice. Oh, look what you made me do. I don't trust nobody anymore. And nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. I'm sorry, but the old Kennedy can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead and she blocked you. Oh, oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me 